Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm joined today by Nick Bianco. Nick is a recovering addict and he's deeply committed to helping others get their lives back. Nick also brought a unique service from New England. The service is called Wadsworth's Recovery Connection, or WRC for short. It's a volunteer-based professional phone service that works in the Wadsworth area to connect those that need help with the help they need. So, Nick, welcome. Thank you, Greg. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate the invite. Okay. Um, so before we get into Wadsworth Recovery Connection, I'm, I'm really anxious to hear about that. That sounds just fantastic. Let's talk just a little bit about your story and why you're so passionate about helping others. Yes, yeah, so I'm 33 years old. Uh, I was born in Akron, raised in Wadsworth. Um, just like everybody else, I started out with uh, prescription opiates and one thing led to another eventually. Uh, Injury? No, no, no. I wish I had okay. a nice victim story like that. Recreational. Yeah, I like to mm-hmm. party. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I kind of found my, I like to call it my on switch or my off switch with opiates, you know, experimenting with different drugs um, throughout high school. Describe that, the on and off switch. You okay. know, we hear that so often. Mm-hmm. And people talk about, you know, this, you've got this addiction gene or propensity for addiction. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? So for me, when I say the the on or the off switch, however you want to look at it, I was kind of an outcast in school, kind of a misfit, um, and, and I just never really felt content or okay in my own skin. And drugs and alcohol helped me with that feeling. And the first time that I tried opiates, um, it was like I had found the switch to make me feel okay. Just one time. One time. Totally wow. 100% um, okay in my own skin. And, you know, I started catching a, a, a nod um, and falling in and out of consciousness. And it scared me momentarily. But that thought was immediately filed and replaced by this is as good as it's ever going to get. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I really believe that. And I, and I chased that feeling for, you know, 15 years. 15 years. So you started when you were how old? Uh, well, roughly 15 years. I started at 16. I got clean at 29, so 13 years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. Huh. So at one point, 
you you tried to get help before you went into recovery. You tried to get help. You searched for help. Tell us a little bit about that, Nick. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret that um, resources for addiction recovery, for rehabilitation in Northeast Ohio are, you know, at a severe shortage and severely strained. Um, I already knew basically what I was getting myself into whenever I tried to call around for help from previous experiences with trying to call around for help. Um, what happened? Well, you get told there's a six-week wait, there's a nine-week wait, there's a 14-week wait. And why, <clears throat> why is it so important that you get help very, very quickly? Okay, right so then? for someone like myself, um, which is not atypical of, of any drug addict, I think we're all pretty much the same in this respect, going two hours without using is nearly impossible. So to be told six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically, you know, it can be a death sentence. Hmm. So within two hours, you're going back into withdrawal and you're, you're just getting sick, basically. Correct. Sick. Yeah. You know, in the withdrawal, um, it's, you know, people describe it as being like the flu. Um, that is the most severe understatement of the, the 21st century. Um, withdrawal from opiates is, is, you know, I can't do it any justice with words. It's, it's extremely, extremely unpleasant. And you always know what will take that away. And it's always just a phone call away. Yeah. Wow. So you tried to get help. You decided that the hell with it. I'm going to continue using. Correct. So what made you finally break out of that cycle? Hmm. Well, I think it was a combination of things. Um, you know, first of all, obviously being beat down and, and disgusted with myself and how I was living and, and wanting to do something you know different and better was was the beginning of it. Um, but I really think that, you know, I had been in that state hundreds of times before and was unable to get help. Um, hundreds. Shit. Hundreds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think really what made the difference this time. I reached out. I called around everywhere locally. I uh, was told the same old song and dance with the waiting list. Um, I had got. I just gotten out of treatment in Texas. Come back home. I, I went down there through private insurance. Uh, very very nice uh, treatment center called uh, Origins Recovery Center in South Padre Island. It's where Doctor Phil sends everybody. Actually, wow! I called back down there. Private insurance, obviously. Private insurance, yeah. yeah thank Family God. help you out. Uh, thankfully, my mother was a teacher at the time. We had medical mutual insurance, which is phenomenal. Um, I got a thirty-five thousand uh, dollar a month treatment center for two hundred fifty dollars copay and a plane ticket. So I went down there. Uh, they used all my benefits up. Uh, you know, sent me back home about halfway through the program because my insurance quit paying. Yeah. And started, how, how far was that? How, how long was that halfway through the program? Uh, 45 days. 45 yeah, days. Yeah, it's about a 90-day program. Okay. Yeah. So I got back home, um, started using again shortly thereafter. And, uh, you know, I, I called around everywhere locally, was told no, was told, you know, these extreme um, waiting lists. And uh, I called back to Origins and they told me, hey, you know, we can't take you because your insurance won't pay anymore. We can't scholarship you because it's only been, you know, a couple of weeks since you got out of here. Um, but we know a sober living house down in Texas that might take you. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know anything about sober living. I didn't know anything about Texas. 
But I knew that if I stayed where I was at, I was going to wind up dead. And, uh, you know, to, to be offered a solution during that crucial brief time period of um, misery and uh, reflection and, and, you know, and hope for, for a better future, I grabbed onto it and um, it wound up being the best decision I ever made. Wow. So what was the name of that sober living house? Uh, it's called Crossroads Sober Living. It's located in Kerrville, Texas. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal operations. I, I got down there. Um, I was surrounded by a group of guys that um, not only encouraged me to work toward a better life, but held me accountable uh, when I was falling short on what I needed to do, which I believe is you know immensely important in any stage of recovery um, for any man or woman, but especially in early recovery. Um, I was also um, in a, a fairly structured environment, um, again, that, that, you know, I think is, is crucial in, in early sobriety. And, uh, you know, I was, I was able to, to make relationships and bond with guys and, and learn a way new, a way new, a new way of life. Um, you that know, you experience experience that I'd never experienced. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what was so different about it versus treatment you see, I'd been around the block six times on the treatment. Six times. Six times. It. Yeah, yeah it's, and six failures. And Which isn't uncommon. No. But you say failures. Interesting that you say failures mm -hmm. because, I mean, that, that relapse is part of recovery. I agree. Right? I agree. So how can you consider a failure? Because each time you probably learned a little something. I think you're right. Each time you took a little step up. I think you're right. Yeah. Can I can I take back the failure? <laughs> can I just say six experiences? <laughs> well, you're teaching, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, so I got down there and, you know, I think the, the biggest difference for me um, was I wasn't surrounded by paid staff. I was what they called treatment wise. Matter of fact, last time I was in treatment, I glanced over at my counselor's uh, notes on his desk and I saw the, the, the phrase treatment wise next to my name, which means basically I've been around the block enough times that I kind of knew how treatment centers operated and I developed defenses to their tactics. Um Sober living to me was so much different because it was just a group of guys. They didn't want anything from me. They weren't paid to be there. They were just a group of guys that were doing better and they wanted to see me do better. So how long did you stay there? I wound up staying down in Texas uh, 14 months. Um, I at one point was managing the house um, and, and moved out on, on my own shortly thereafter and um, you know, long story short, I was offered a job at uh, at a rehab um, back here in Ohio, and I had some uh, some choices to make. Did I want to stay down in Texas where the weather's much nicer and the people are a lot friendlier, or did I want to come back to Ohio where all my friends were dropping dead from overdoses? Because it it wasn't going on like that down in Texas. Ohio was, I believe, is unique in that that factor. Um, we're the epicenter. We are the epicenter. We're yeah. number one in the, in the in the nation for something, probably the world. Yeah, very sad. So you had to be nervous about coming back. You've got 14 months under your belt. And um, so what what compelled you to come back then? You got all this going down there. And also on top of that, as you know, it's people, places, and things. Avoiding the people, places, and things that got you into, I'll call it this mess. Mm -hmm. um, so probably a bad way to put it, but 
you know, is, is how you started down that path of substance use disorder, right? Mm-hmm. So how did you make that decision and then from there make it successful for you? Because, I mean, you had to be uh, paranoid coming back. Yeah, there there was some apprehension. There was some fear and uh, there was a lot of contemplation that went into this um basically i you know i I relied on the tools that that i had been given um you know i I got sober in a 12-step fellowship i'm still actively engaged in a 12-step fellowship and you know i used counsel with others i used prayer and meditation um you know and, and just asking you know god for for the right answers and it felt like um he was uh matter of fact i'll tell you how i how i came to the the ultimate conclusion so i was uh talking to a a buddy back here who was in rehab at the time and uh i literally prayed for a sign earlier that day and he tells me man if you were ever to move back here you know how many people you could help and i knew right then and there this is what i had to do and it was still difficult after that of course making that jump sure um but i knew right then and there so as far as like the people places and things go um you know that's a good question because the reality is if we come back and we go back to our same environment, back to our same um, peer group, then, you know, obviously it's a time bomb that's probably not going to be taken for very long before it goes off. That's right. And that's one of the challenges when you go remote, right? Absolutely. And, and, and then you come back to the area Absolutely. because you've built this whole new life. You can't pick it up and take it with you. Right. So you've got to have a strategy coming back. Right. So right. your strategy was to dig in and help people and really get involved and, and rebuild that whole – your recovery side while you're helping someone else. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's that's what I think happened. Fair enough. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. a, that's a good estimate. Um, yeah, so basically, you know, the, the people, places, and things. It's like am I coming back home and going to hang out with my old friends because I want to hang out with my old friends or am I coming back home um, – with a solution that, that worked for me that I'm hoping can work for others and, and trying to spread that. And, you know, as far as like bringing Texas up here with me, I couldn't necessarily put it in my pocket, but, uh, you know, thank God for cell phones. Um, there were a lot of phone calls down to Texas during those early days and there still are today. Wow. So they're still part of your team. Oh, 120%. In fact, the, the gentleman that, uh, that owned the, the sober living house I was in down there is a huge part of my, uh, my network and my sober support. So I kind of, I call it a team we talked about before. I mm-hmm. liken it to making that decision to climb <clears throat> Mount Everest. You've got to have a team. How big is your team, your recovery team personally, roughly? I wouldn't even want to guess. Hundreds. Hun- wow. <laughs> Hundreds. Oh, that's Hundreds. tremendous. Yeah. yeah. I How mean, important of course, is a team a- to your recovery? How important is having a team around you? Oh, it's absolutely vital. You know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the uh, the three sided triangle that's uh, associated with uh, I I can't say due to uh, anonymity traditions with the fellowships, but it's associated with one of the twelve step fellowships circle with the triangle. One of the sides is unity, which is having a support group. One of the sides is uh, service. One of the sides is recovery. Recovery being uh, working your own program, service being giving back. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that as long as um, you're working on all three sides of that triangle, that uh, you know, your structure will stand. Now let's move on to the Wadsworth Recovery Connection. Yeah. And let's talk about how you started that. 
Okay, so again, going back to my previous attempts at sobriety um, and, and being shut down so many times, we're told that there's these, you know, lengthy waiting lists so many times. It was clear that there was a need for something, um, something more up here to, to get people into to treatment and to detox when they reach out because that, that window is so brief. That time period when someone is open and willing to get help and follow through on it, that, that moment of desperation is so brief that we really need to strike when the iron's hot. So it's like an hour. Yeah. So in addition to that, again, I'm from Wadsworth um, originally. So Wadsworth. That's, that's northeast Ohio. So that's, mm-hmm. what, 25 minutes from Cleveland? Yeah. Yeah, yeah about 10 miles west of Akron, about mm-hmm. probably 30 miles south of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. But it just so happens that where we're situated is in Medina County. We're at the corner of Medina, Wayne, and Summit Counties. Summit County has a lot of resources. They're badly strained, but they exist. Wayne County has some resources. Cuyahoga County obviously has a lot of resources. Medina County, for whatever reason, is beyond my comprehension because it's a fairly affluent community, has no resources. By no resources, define that. I believe they had, uh, at the time, two outpatients. No detox, no residential treatment. Um, hmm. There was nothing. And, and the, the other part of that is the Cuyahoga County and the Summit County and the Wayne County resources are limited to residents of those counties. You cannot be from an outside county and uh, go to, say, IBH and Akron. Um those are strictly for Summit County residents. They're taxpayer funded with county tax dollars. So what do you do? You want to help these people. You want to set up a hotline to connect them with the resources, but you've got no resources. What did you do? Right. So a friend of mine um, shot me a message on, uh, on Facebook one day with an article about a group of people out in New England. I can't remember the state that um, had started basically a a volunteer-based hotline that people could call when they were struggling. And then these volunteers would then work to get them placed in in treatment and basically wouldn't take no for an answer. You know, they would call around until they could find somewhere that had a bed that was willing to, you know, work with the person given their financial situation or, or insurance situation or whatever and get them some help immediately. Um, you know, I, I, I think I remember saying to her, she's her exact words to me were, do we have anything like this in the area? And if so, and if not, why? Hmm. And I couldn't answer that question. Yeah. You know, I answered the, do we have it? No, we don't. Why don't we have it? I don't know. Let's do it. Yeah. So how did you do that? How did you make that happen? You don't have experience with this, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I got plenty of experience working with alcoholics and addicts. Um, Okay, but I mean, putting together a lifeline this way. Yeah, no, none. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So how'd you do it? Right. So we were born out of what's known as the Wazard Drug-Free Community Coalition. Um, there was a, it's a group of concerned citizens that get together and try and uh, tackle the opiate epidemic through, through various avenues, um, treatment, awareness, education. So a group of us were assigned to the treatment team community resources, something, something along those lines. And uh, 
it was myself, it was uh, Tim Smith, the director of uh, Medina County, uh, Wakata, um, a couple other people in recovery, and a, and a couple um, concerned parents who had you know, either lost kids to an overdose or whose kids were currently struggling with addiction. And we kind of just got together. I'm sorry, uh, Pastor Don Ebert from the Washington United Methodist Church has been very instrumental in helping us with this as well. So we kind of just got together and brainstormed and, and came up with some protocols and some some trainings. And uh, eventually we split off from the community coalition. Um, we needed a 501c3 so that we could hope to get some money to scholarship some people into rehab. So that's where Pastor Don came in at. He let us um, get under the umbrella of the uh, United Methodist Church. Um, so we're, you know, we're official now. And, and it basically... Just happened out of care, love, and concern. Just yeah. people that people that had been there, and, you know, on one side of the corner or the other, where it was a family member or an addict themselves, and, and wanted to help make sure that somebody else was given the opportunity to uh, to get the treatment they needed when they needed it. So, how long has it been up now in in operation, Nick? Yeah, we've been up since um, August 2016. August of 2016. Okay, so this August you'll have your one year anniversary. Yes, sir. So. Um, what have been the results? Do you have some numbers? You know, we don't we don't necessarily track the the number of calls because the reality is a lot of people call in at one time and then they never follow up. Hmm. Or a lot of times we get a call from a friend or a family member for someone and we tell them to have that person call back. The person never does because, you know, obviously they don't want help. It's more for the, the friend or family member. We'll then, yeah. you know, direct them towards Naranon or Alanon or some other family support like that. Mm-hmm. Um, of the people that have called in, the addicts themselves who have followed through with our recommendations all have been placed successfully into treatment. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Wow. That's tremendous. And like you say, um, your percentages of people falling off, if you will, you know, doing a little nibble, doing a call in and right. not, not following through. I mean, that goes back to what you said before. Very quickly, they're just back into withdrawal. Mm-hmm. They're back mm-hmm. into the chaotic life. And so you have that moment, but that moment can so quickly slip away for you. I suspect that it's a lot of that you're, that you're seeing. Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm you know, convinced that, that that's what's going on. And, and I understand it because I've been there. You know, you make a phone call, you get told, yeah, and you, and you change your mind. It's just the reality. You know, your, your drug dealer calls back, your friend calls and, you know, has a bunch of money and wants to go score or whatever the case may be. And, and motives change, you know. Well, maybe next time. Maybe next time. Wow. That's tough. How many people do you have? How many volunteers do you have for this? Right now we have seven on our team with a, an, an eighth in the works. I think we started out with eight and we and we lost one. We try to keep it evenly um, balanced between males and females. The way it works is there's always one male and one female on call. One will be answering the phone, the other one will be back up that way, regardless of whether we get a male or a female who calls in. You know, we don't want to have two men meeting up with a woman or, or two women meeting up with a man or, or something like that. We always want to keep it balanced um, yeah. gender-wise. And give them, uh, the caller, an opportunity to be comfortable with whomever they talk Absolutely. That's what it's all about. So the phone number to call in is 330-334-5026, and it's staffed from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday. Well, and you know what? This is a little secret between uh, us and your viewers. It Mm -hmm. is staffed 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday, Mm -hmm. but there's no off switch. 
the phone line will ring through to whoever is on at any hour of the day, um, seven days a week. So if you're struggling, if you're out there, if you need help or you know someone who is, you can call us 24 hours a day. It doesn't matter if it's 4 a.m., that phone line will ring through. What percent of your volunteers are in recovery themselves? About 50. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, that's tremendous. They're, they're probably very, very passionate about this. Oh, 100%. 100%. That's what yeah. it takes, you know, in this line of work. Yeah. Passion. We talked a little bit about how you deal with the lack of resources. And it's, uh, if I can put words in your mouth, it's the tenacity of your volunteers, not taking no for an answer and continuing to work the phones until they find a suitable match Absolutely. for your, your your clients there. And and that's just amazing. I mean, for those people, uh, I, I would say, how about outside of the Medina area? You know, because I would think that people even outside of that area would benefit by the knowledge that you have because... Look, when a parent in particular finds that their loved one is addicted and they're, they're just plunged into crisis, particularly that first time, and they don't know where to turn. And it seems as though your people probably have a great deal of just knowledge to impart in terms of that, that guidance. So let me ask you something. Is it open to people, uh, you know, parents, family members, uh, that maybe are even outside of Medina County. As far as for help or for volunteers? To talk. To oh, talk yeah, to 100%. People. We you get I don't, coached in the right direction. I don't care if you call from Afghanistan. We're going to help you out. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So um, you've also gotten involved in running sober houses. Correct. And um, you run some sober houses here in Northeast Ohio now? Yes, sir, in Akron. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so <clears> – <throat> Again, I got sober down in Texas in a sober living environment. Um, it was extremely solid. It was it was well intentioned, and and it, you know the results were there. Um, I was in a nine man house, and and eight of us stayed sober for more than a year. I think seven of us are still sober to this day. I think the one that fell off is actually back in recovery and is like eighteen months sober right now. Um, obviously, they were doing something right. Yeah. So, what's the secret? I think the secret is a combination of structure. Unity, accountability, and a strong focus on uh, the twelve steps and, and the principles um, that are that are in the uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so I moved back to Ohio, rented a house out, started just pulling in people that I knew off the streets, people from from the rooms of AA. And, um, you know, we've we basically grown and expanded from there to you know where we're at today with with six locations. Um, in Akron, we have five for men, one for women. Um, and we've, we've seen a tremendous amount of success. There have been a lot of people that have walked through those doors that have, have gone on to, to long-term sobriety. I think that, that what we do differently is we focus on those things, um, actively engaged in the 12-step program, not just going to meetings, but working with the sponsor. And we're going to check up and make sure that's what's actually going on. You'll be required to attend X amount of meetings per week. Um, if someone in the house does relapse, they're asked to leave. That is not to punish them, but simply to keep the house safe. Protect the others. For everyone else in the house. And if that guy, you know, if he leaves and uh, he has a, a change of heart and, and, and seems like he's serious and, and he wants help again, we'll give him another shot. We don't shut the door on anybody. But we got to keep what's sacred sacred and what's safe safe for everybody else. How long does it take them to earn their way back? 
it's case by case, and it depends on a lot of factors. Um, it could be as short as a couple of days. Okay. But they have to demonstrate that they really want 100%. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, so, Nick, what other advice would you have for people that today are struggling with opioid addiction? Reach out. Um, helps available. Recovery is possible. Don't take no for an answer. If you call one place and they say no or they say they got a, a long waiting list, keep calling. Keep calling other places. Eventually, you will find somewhere and someone that's willing to help. Um, meetings. I'm a, a firm believer in the 12 steps. I mean, you know, you want to talk about evidence-based. We've been going for, for 80-some years now, and it's still the, the number one solution to um, addiction and alcoholism, any rehab, any IOP that you go to in the country is going to tell you to find a sponsor and go to meetings. So once you get far enough along, though, you don't need meetings anymore, do you? Yes, you do. <laughs> There's no graduation from this. It's lifelong. Lifelong. Yeah. And how about your team? How long do you need to have your team around you? Till you're six feet under. So what else would you like to share with our listeners, I think that we need we need two things, okay. And I think that that is uh, prevention, and I think that that is treatment. Um, you know, anybody who has a business background knows that um, supply and demand wins. The demand wins. It doesn't matter about the supply. If you take the supply out, the demand's still there. Something else will pop in to fill that void. It's not until the demand is taken care of, that the supply will wither away and die. And the way that that happens is by treating the people that are currently struggling and by educating the youth so that they don't go down the same road that my generation has gone down. Um, and until we start allocating more funding towards that, we're not going to see any results because the bottom line is everything takes money. That's the bottom line. And until we're willing to spend more money helping people out of addiction and educating people not to, to go down that path, um, I don't think we're going to see much of a change. Well, I want to thank you, Nick, for joining us today. Thank you for asking me to be here. It's an honor. Okay. We've been visiting today with Nick Bianco, a recovering addict who's deeply committed to helping others recover their lives. And Nick has brought a unique service to Northeast Ohio. It's Wadsworth Recovery Connection. It's a volunteer-based uh, phone service whereby they connect people that want help with the help that they need. And let me give you the phone number again. That's 330-334-5026. It's staffed by passionate volunteers Monday through Friday from 10 in the morning till 8 p.m. But as Nick has shared, they're actually, they'll answer the phones any time of the night or day. So thanks again, Nick. Thank you. Okay. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.